We've been shaped by stories our entire lives. When we were younger, they were read to us at bedtime. They come from our teachers in class and friends in hallways. We see them in our favorite movies and TV shows. We relate to them, visualize them, and share them. Jesus understood this and chose to teach through stories. We've been shaped by stories our entire lives, but the stories told by Jesus were meant to give us life. His stories were called parables. especially those of you who are guests with us. If you are a guest and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Bill. And it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. Um, we're just honored to have you with us today. And we'd absolutely love to be able to connect with you. And the easiest way to do that for those of you who are in the room is to text the word welcome uh, to 817-755-1668. We just want to find out how we can um, serve you and your family. And if you have questions about the church or anything, um, we'd love to be able to answer those questions. And so for those of you that are joining us online, you can certainly text us as well, or you can message us on, uh, message us on Facebook Messenger um, and just say, hey, I'm new here, and we'll connect with you that way as well. Uh, one of the things that we want to do for those of you that are new is not just connect with you like from a staff perspective, but we want to get you guys connected with others in the church as well. And so we've got a great opportunity uh, coming up to, to do just that in what we refer to as formed. Um, so the first Wednesday in September, which is a week from this Wednesday, I think it's September the 1st without looking at a calendar, we will start formed. And so formed is a four-week class um, experience. For those of you that don't like class, right? It's not class. It's just an experience on Wednesdays. Um, here at the church at 7 o'clock, so we meet from 7 to 8 o'clock, where we talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and then how that plays itself out in our church. And so if you want to learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you want to get connected with other people that are a part of our church, Formed is a great kind of first step in that process. And so you can go online and register for that, or you can download our um, app on the, uh, the Church Center app. There's a registration in that app. That's probably the easiest way to do it. But um, glad you're here this morning. Let me pray for us and we'll, we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, thanks for the opportunity to gather together today. And God, we recognize in the midst of I mean, just the chaos of life and all of the things that are happening around us, the things that we are going through, God, we, we need you today. Um, and so, Father, as we spend a few minutes in your word, I pray that we would be able to hear from you, um, that you would teach us and encourage us, help us to understand um, the depth of your love for us and all that you've accomplished through our Savior Jesus. So meet us in these moments, and it's in the name of our Savior Jesus that we pray, amen. Why are you here? And as I say that, i got to be careful, and I intentionally paused on purpose so you could think about that for just a second. When I say that, I don't say that from a, a judgmental perspective at all. I have to be really careful with that because I often ask why questions. Like, why do you do that? And some people think that I'm saying, like, you're doing something wrong when I ask why. And I, I, that's not my intent. My intent is to learn. Like, if there's a reason that you're doing something, I want to understand what it is, right? And so... I ask you today, not why are you here, but why are you here? 
Did you know why you're here? Now, some of you, as I ask that question, you're thinking, that's a really strange question. Aren't we supposed to be here? Like, you want us to be here, right? And yes, I do want you to be here. And you're thinking, like, this is what Christians do. We come to church or church service on a Sunday morning. So I'm here because this is what we do. And while, you know, some of that is truth, there's truth in that, I do hope at the same time that you're here more than just because, like, this is what we are supposed to do. So why are you here? And maybe some of you would say, you, know, you like being here. Gathering on Sunday really helps set the tone for a w- your week or whatever, and so it's helpful. You're encouraged by what takes place or something that you hear. Others might say, man, I really like the worship. Appreciate Miranda um, and Connor leading us today while Cody is gone. And so maybe you say, like, man, I just love the, the music and the worship aspect of the service. Maybe others would say, well, the reason I'm here is because I want my kids to be in church, which is another great reason. So there are all kinds of reasons that we could give as to why we are here today. But maybe for some, you're not really sure why you're here. Maybe you were invited by somebody else and you just felt like you couldn't say no, and so that's why you're here. But maybe there are others who would say, you know what, you're not really sure exactly why you're here, but you're looking for something. Maybe not exactly sure what you're looking for, but you're thinking maybe church has something or maybe Christianity has something that would help you to make sense out of life. Because you know something is wrong and you're just looking for something. I don't know how many of you remember watching The Matrix. My family, we started to watch that a little bit last night for the first time in a really long time. And so I don't know if you remember that movie, but the first time that Neo meets Morpheus and Morpheus says, it's like a splinter in the back of your mind. Like you just know something is wrong and you're looking for an answer. Not really sure what it is, but you're here looking for something. And so for those of you that would say, man, I'm not exactly sure why I'm here, but you're maybe like you're looking for something, not exactly sure what it is, but you say you're here because you're looking for something. What if that's not really the reason that you're here? And I don't, I don't say that like you're wrong. I, I mean, from your perspective, you are here because you are looking for something. But what if that's not really the reason that you're here? What if you're here not because you are looking for something, but because someone is looking for you? Now, that's really deep, so I want to say it again, right? Like, what if you're here not because you are looking for something, but because someone is looking for you. This is week two of our series that we're calling Simply Profound, where we're going through some of the parables of Jesus. It was in these stories that Jesus told where he communicated what was really a very, very simple truth, but he did it in a very profound way through the telling of these stories so that as we understand the significance of these stories that Jesus told, they can bring about a radical change in our lives. And so today, we are not looking at just one parable, but three parables. Three parables that all have the same point. In fact, they're often lumped together, referred to as the lost parables. And they're found for us in Luke chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn there to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible there with you, it'll be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. 
or if you are a YouVersion Bible app user, you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. In addition to the scripture, there's a place to take notes and some questions for reflections, all kinds of stuff in that live event. Be sure to take advantage of that. The lost parables, they all have the same point. And the fact that Jesus tells three parables in sequence right next to each other, and they all have the same point, it helps me to understand that, man, this point that Jesus is making was really, really, really significant. It's really important for us to get. And here's the point. It's really simple. Jesus is searching for you. That's the point of all three of these parables. Jesus is searching for you. And I want to look at each of the parables here in just a second, but before we do, let that truth kind of sink in. Because it's so important, because maybe in your life you've always felt like the leftover, the second choice. But I want you to know that's not the case with you and Jesus, because Jesus is searching for you. Not because everyone else said no, but you are of first priority. Jesus is searching for you. I'm not going to read the entire chapter in uh, all at once. We're going to break it down, and so we're going to take each of the parables um, one by one. And so I want to begin by reading the first parable, the parable of the lost sheep, starting in Luke 15, in verse 1, and I'll read down through verse 7. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, to Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who was a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. It's at the very beginning, the first couple of verses, that we read why Jesus told these lost parables. He had been known as a friend of sinners, eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the other religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day, went to him and were asking, like, why do you do this? Because this is not something that you're supposed to do. Rabbis, teachers in, in the Jewish religion, were people who were to teach morals to other people, right? They had to do the right things in the right way and be around the right people and being around the wrong people, especially eating with the wrong people might be sort of this uh, tacit saying yes to their behavior, whatever it is. And so they were saying to Jesus, you can't do this. And so in response to that question, he told these lost parables. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. The story's pretty straightforward. Jesus said a shepherd had a hundred sheep. One of them wandered off. And it was the shepherd himself who left the 99 to go seek out that one little lost lamb. And when the shepherd found the lamb, he got his hands dirty in the process, lifted up the sheep, put the sheep on his shoulders, and then took it back to the flock. And when he got back, he got all of his friends and neighbors together, and they threw a party because this one lost lamb had been found and returned back to the fold. And Jesus finished that section saying, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 who didn't need to repent. The point of the story, you're lost, but Jesus is searching for you. 
the focus of that parable. It's really, again, it's a really simple truth. You are lost, but Jesus is searching for you. Now, as I say that, some of you are thinking, I know I'm lost. Because of the circumstances of your life right now, you're dealing with some stuff that you can't control, and, and you feel overwhelmed in that, and you desperately need somebody to help. Others of you are saying, I don't know. I don't know how lost I really am. But to understand the significance of this parable, we have to understand how lost all of us are apart from Jesus. To understand that, we have to look at what our experience of life was supposed to be like versus what our experience in life actually is. See, what God intended for us is to have a life full of joy and meaning and purpose. When God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the Garden of Eden. It was a place of paradise, and they weren't just sitting around doing nothing all day, but they were given responsibilities. They were given a job. They were to uh, rule over the earth and subdue it, or in other words, help creation do what God intended it to do. And so they were doing just that. So they would go and work, and there was joy in what they did. They understood their purpose, and there was meaning in it. They worked hard, and at the end of the day, there was a sense of fulfillment in all that they had accomplished. And I often think, man, like, wouldn't that be great for just a day? Because that's not what we experience. Where God intended us to have a life of joy filled with meaning and purpose, where at the end of the day, we felt fulfillment what we experience in our lives are wounds. Wounds are caused by many different things in life. These are the things that cause us pain. Sometimes we experience wounds from other people. On one end of the spectrum, it could be uh, things like neglect or abuse, like where there is an intentional wounding by another person. At the other end of the spectrum, it could just be disappointment with someone where they didn't do what we thought they would do and we receive a wound from that. It wasn't intentional, it was unintentional, but we are still wounded from that. We experience wounds just from sometimes just living in a fallen world where there are things like sickness and disease. And so, you know, maybe it was the, the death of a loved one too early. It creates a wound in our lives. Or maybe it's a, a personal illness, not understanding why we are the ones who have to go through that. Those kinds of things can create wounds in our lives, and those wounds cause pain. And so when we feel pain, emotional pain, just like when we feel physical pain, we learn from that. And so we say to ourselves, whatever caused that pain, I am not going to do that again because I didn't like that. Right? So just like we avoid physical pain, when we experience emotional pain, we, whatever it was that caused that, we try to avoid that. And so that oftentimes leads to unhealthy behaviors. Those unhealthy behaviors are part of what the Bible would refer to as sin. And our sin separates us from God. So what happens is we experience wounds which cause pain, and then we try to figure out what to do with the pain by avoiding the source of the pain, or sometimes when we can't heal from it, from that wound, we try to cover over the pain. And so it could be something like addiction, where we're just numbing the pain as we try to make it through life, because there's nothing that we can do to heal from that wound. 
Sometimes, though, the unhealthy behavior is actually from the outside viewed very positively because it could be something like perfectionism or achievement. So like if you heard when you were young, you'll never amount to anything, right? That's a wound that creates pain. And so we say, oh, I'm going to avoid that at all possible. And so it leads me into workaholism or perfectionism so that nobody can ever say that to me again. And so regardless of how it manifests itself in our lives, we experience wounds which lead to pain, oftentimes which leads us into sin as we try to make sense of our own existence apart from Jesus. But the only one who can heal the wounds of our heart is Jesus. But that's the experience of our lostness, where we were meant to have joy and meaning and purpose and fulfillment. We experience wounds, which leads to pain, which leads to sin, and we don't even know what to do with it. You're lost, but Jesus is searching for you. Now, don't miss the significance of what Jesus said in the story and the personal nature of this search. It is the shepherd himself who was searching for that one lost lamb. It's not a hired hand that he sends out to go find it. It's the shepherd himself who's willing to get his hands dirty in the process. And when he puts that sheep wounded on his shoulders, probably gets blood on his garments. But Jesus is searching for you. Second story, second parable, the parable of the lost coin. Look with me, starting in verse 8, Luke 15. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Story of the lost coin, it's really similar to the story of the lost sheep. This time it's a woman who has ten coins. Each of the coins worth roughly a day's worth of wages for the average worker. And so as Jesus tells this parable, he says, if a woman loses one of those coins, is she not going to light a lamp and then sweep the house doing everything that she can, even if she has to get down on her hands and knees, to find that one lost coin? And then when she finds it, she is going to throw a party. And so, again, here's the point of the parable that Jesus tells. Jesus is searching for you, and when you're found, it's time for a party. Now, you've got to notice that there's something a little bit different with the parable of the lost coin. See, with the parable of the lost sheep, it's about an animal. And so a sheep, when it wanders off, I guess, theoretically, it's impossible that a sheep would be able to find its way back home again. Highly unlikely, but possible. Well, now we've got a lost coin. It's an inanimate object. And there's literally nothing that a coin can do to be found. It is just lost. And so sometimes it's really easy for us to think, man, like I could maybe figure out how to find my way back home again. But as we understand the parable of the lost coin, we see that there is nothing that we could ever do to be found. That's just how lost we are. We can't make our way back. But Jesus has accomplished everything through his death and resurrection, so that we can be found. 
And so part of our understanding of what it means to be found is the reality that we have to understand that we are so lost that we need somebody to rescue us. And to be found, all we have to do is simply say yes to Jesus. I talked about this, I mentioned this verse last week, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. The Apostle Paul's writing, and he says, It's by grace, it's the goodness of God given to people who don't deserve it. By grace we are saved through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. It's not what we do. We can't find ourselves. But it is the free gift of God in Jesus who is looking for us to rescue us. And when we're found, man, it's time for a party. Some have made this observation. This is how it, like crazy this story is. Because likely for this woman, if she invited her friends and neighbors over to a party, throwing a party like that likely would have cost more than the value of the, the single coin that had been lost. Right? It's, it doesn't make any sense, the story that Jesus tells, but that's the significance of what it means when we are found. That's the value that Jesus places on each of us. You're lost. But Jesus is searching for you, and when you're found, it's time for a party. The third parable that's in this series of lost parables is the parable of the lost son, more commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. This is the longest one, and so I'm going to read, read it in its entirety, starting in verse 11. Really pay attention to the details as I read this. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. And so he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast because the son of mine who is dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. 
I love the words of the father here. He says, son, he said to him, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because the brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. With this third lost parable, which is the the culmination of these stories, there's a human element to it, which heightens the emotional level in the story. And what we find is that a father had two sons. The younger of those sons went to his father and said, hey, I want my share of the inheritance, which was incredibly rude. You would have never done that if your father was alive. Basically, it was like saying, I wish you were dead and I don't want to have anything to do with you. And so as much as it hurt the father, he did what his son asked and he divided up his assets among his two sons. And that younger son took his estate and went off to a faraway country and squandered it in unwise living. And very soon he had nothing left. There was a famine in the land, and so he had no food, nothing that he could do to figure out how to earn a living. There were no prospects at all. He decided to himself, what am I doing here? I'll just go home, and maybe I can be a hired servant in my father's house. So he made his way home. And in the parable that Jesus told, that's where the perspective changes. Because then we get the perspective of the father, who had been watching waiting for the son. And it says when he saw the son who was at a far distance, he went running to him and he embraced him in his arms. This son who was once dead had now been made alive. This son who was lost had been found. And he said, let's throw a party. And again, here's the point of the story. Jesus is searching for you. Like we're lost, but Jesus is searching for us. And, and so this, our ability to make it back home again, it starts with the admission that we are sinners. That we've wandered off from the path. That we're the ones who have fallen into all kinds of different things. And those things separate us from God. But it is God himself who is welcoming us back into his arms. And so it's admitting that we are sinners and we are in desperate need of help. And then from there, it's simply receiving the forgiveness that's freely offered to us. Do you notice that the son goes back to the father and says, hey, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And without any words, he is welcomed back, not as a slave, but as a son. The forgiveness is freely offered. The son did nothing to earn the forgiveness of the father. It was simply extended to him. And you see, this is the power of this story, I think it makes it very clear. Again, Jesus is searching for you, not just for certain people or some kinds of people, but for everyone, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what the circumstances of your life have been, Jesus is searching for you. And you can go home again by accepting the forgiveness that's freely offered. But you know, that's not where the story ends. Because we also have the role of the older brother. While the preparations for the party for the younger son were being made, the older brother was out in the field. And so he hears the commotion and he asks somebody, hey, what happened? And he said, your brother's back. He became angry. And the father went out to him. And he said, hey, what's the matter? And basically the older brother said, dad, what about me? I've never done any of those things. I've been obedient to you 
You never did this kind of stuff for me. Like, what about me? And the father said, how can you ask that question? What do you mean, what about you? All that I have is yours. Now, this is really, really important. It's an important detail in the story because that wasn't just figurative. It was literal. It said at the beginning of the parable that the father divided his assets among his two sons. He gave the younger son his share of the inheritance and his older son double what the younger son received. Now the father has nothing left. Everything is yours. But this son, who was dead, is now alive. He was lost, but now he's found. See, it's so important that we don't end up in the place of being like the older brother. Where we begin to decide who gets in or who's worthy of getting a party and who doesn't. There are a lot of Christians who live like that. Like those kinds of people, those people who do those kinds of things, they're not worthy of getting in. That's not our responsibility. Once we are found, our responsibility is to join Jesus in looking for the people who are lost, helping them to become found again. And then when they are found, we take on the role of the friends and neighbors who rejoice in the party over the sinner who comes to faith in Jesus, the lost who is now found. But it's easy for us to end up in the position of the older brother when we lose sight of the fact that we were once the lost sheep and we were once the lost coin, but that Jesus was searching for us so that we could be brought into a relationship with Jesus where life is changed and we're able to spend eternity in heaven. See, the point of these stories It's really simple. Jesus is searching for you. And all you have to do to be found is say yes. By trusting Jesus as your Savior, inviting Him to forgive you of your sins, for your life is changed forever. And so I'm sure some of us, as we walk in the room, not really sure what we're doing here, looking for something to help us make sense out of life. But what if you're here not because you are looking for something, but because someone is looking for you? Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Because, Father, we recognize today through these lost parables that Jesus told that we are separated from you. What we experience in this life is not what you meant for us. But we recognize that Jesus is looking for sinners to be found to be restored. And Father, for those of us who have made that decision to trust Christ as our Savior, we recognize, God, how good you are to us because you chose to rescue us when we were lost and could do nothing. And you accomplished everything. 
And Father, if there is somebody here who hasn't yet made that decision to trust Jesus as their Savior, maybe you would, God, do something through the work of your Holy Spirit to continue to draw them to yourself so that they simply say yes to you. So, Father, if you're dealing with somebody's heart today, I pray that you would give them the courage to just say something to me or a friend that they're with today. If they want to be reconciled to you, have the wounds of their heart healed through the work of Jesus. Thank you for searching for us when we were lost so that we could know you and have our lives changed forever. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.